Project Sapient is a podcast meant to engage our brothers and sisters in the law enforcement and military communities in conversations that we all know we need to have. All opinions you'll hear are our own, are protected by our First Amendment of the United States Constitution, and in no way reflect or are meant to reflect the opinion of any specific agency, officer, or service member. Some opinions may be controversial. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. Man, hello. Pete. What's up, buddy? What's up, dude? Season two, episode two, Project Sapient. So cool, isn't it amazing how we fucking got from like? Remember the day we had two listeners? Hey, dude, I, I actually, <laughs> I actually went back and listened to our very first, and it recording. sounded like shit. Yeah, remember? It was hilarious. <laughs> and now we have over fucking what fifteen thousand? Yeah, what, what? Uh, I've stopped counting. It's God, I fucking love it, man. Guys, listen, Project Sapient. Thank you for making us the number one law enforcement and military podcast on the planet. We want to say thank you to our supporters: VectorShields.com, JimJunkies.com, HavocJournal.com, LiveBoston617.org, WellnessForWarriors.live. We love those ladies. ODKit.com, Eagle Eye Firearms, MA.com, GunTrack.app, and Hulay-Law.com. So, we have an awesome, as promised, we have an awesome guest that's yes. come on. I'm going to yes. unmute him and make sure he's there. Are you there, sir? I am. Cool beans. So, Iman, why don't you go ahead and intro? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, actually, uh, met uh, uh, Jeff uh, Mashburn, is, is your name. <laughs> and yep. uh, we we actually met uh, through uh, Havoc Journal. And uh, the, um, the, the individual that runs Havoc Journal got us connected uh, because... One, we're both cops, and one, two, we're, we're both veterans, and and we contribute to Havoc Journal, and and we kind of think alike uh, in terms of how we go about our uh, careers or how we go yeah. about our our work uh, as as cops. So so if if you want to talk a little bit, Jeff, about you know uh, what you do and 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 what you've done in the military, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the floor. Okay, cool. So uh, so currently, I'm uh, I work for a for a small or small medium sized county. Sheriff's Office in, in East Texas, which kind of is between Dallas and Shreveport, Louisiana, off I-20. And um, before that, I spent like 30 years in the Army and did a bunch of stuff in the Army. Uh, most notably, I was um, I was an 18 Charlie. I was a Special Forces engineer in the, in the 5th, 19th, and 3rd Special Forces groups. Um, I, I got selected for officer candidate school, went and earned a commission as an infantry officer, and uh, spent some time in Alaska. Um, some time at Fort Benning and then ended up commanding a couple of companies in the 82nd, um, deployed a bunch of times during those times, obviously, as everybody did. Um, and then got selected to go to West Point where I spent my last couple of years, which is where I got connected with the Havoc Journal guys. There's a bunch of, you know, the, the, the owner of Havoc Journal's up there, yep. and, um, got in on the early days of, of Havoc Journal. And so that was nice. And I retired in 2000. I guess 16 and been uh, been kind of messing around with some, with some stuff, but been in law enforcement now for about four years. I had a break in service back in the nineties where I was, uh, where I spent time with the Los Angeles police department. So, um, so back in the nineties, I had a, you know, I had a great opportunity to, uh, to view law enforcement with probably the, you know, one of the, if not the premier law yeah. enforcement agency in the world. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I just kind of segued after retirement into law enforcement here in East Texas and just been, been enjoying it. I've, I'm, I'm a patrol officer. I do patrol stuff, uh, spent time on a SWAT team and, you know, kind of keeping that tactical edge going and trying to help, uh, 
really trying to help with a lot of leadership development as much as as much as they'll let me. That's kind of my uh, my stock in trade, kind of what I did at West Point and uh, and what I'm most passionate about as I'm looking at law enforcement. And really, you know, as you all know, law enforcement has a huge um, um, hole when it comes to leadership development. Yeah, it and, does. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, and you know that's a topic for a whole other thing, but it, but it actually works into the topic I, I, I will talk about today as well. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of who I am and 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 where I'm at. I'm married. I have. Um, four wonderful kids, two girls that that live with us here in in East Texas, and then um, a son and daughter that that are my son and daughter, which live in Alabama with their mom. So that's so, me in a so, nutshell. So Jeff, you from what you've just told us, you've had like zero experience in the military and in the police department. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just none. I, I do a job for like six months and then I change jobs because it's scary. So, so that's, that's kind of my thing. Dude, kudos to you, man. Like seriously, every, I was writing stuff down as you're saying, and I'm like, holy shit, I'm running out of stuff on my paper. I'm writing out of space on my paper to write down everything that Does, you've done. Doesn't make like our resumes tiny. Yeah, like I want to, I want to quit right now, dude. I feel like when shit. I was, when I was retiring, and they were like, "Okay, your resume needs to be one page." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, okay. good yeah. luck." <laughs> yeah, it's one page. There's, there's, Fucking the font is number two. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no way to summarize, you know, thirty years of experience. No matter who you are, really, yeah, thirty years yeah. of experience on a one page, right? Yeah. And um, so yeah, so yeah, it's always amusing when people are like, "Oh, let me see your resume," and they're like, "Oh my god." <laughs> so, and for and for guys like me, and and I've talked with. Um, I talked to some of the other writers at Havoc Journal. We did a podcast about this a while back. You know, for guys like us that have done this stuff, it's no big deal. It's like, that's just what we did. Right, you know, right. I mean, I, I I pointed my nose in the direction and things just happened. And some things were luck and some things were right right place, right time. And some yeah. things were sheer, sheer, just, just grinding, just grinding the effort. And so, um, you know, to, to guys that have, guys like us that have done this, we don't really see it as others see it when they're outside look, looking in and when they shine the light on it. Yeah, you know, at times it's almost a little embarrassing. It's like, oh man, well, well, like, I, I totally get it. I mean, every every you know Green Beret that that is, is close to me, friends and and stuff like that, they're they're just like that though. They would never yeah. ever talk about. Well, it's a humble you know, dude. It's, you it's, don't it's, talk it's, about well, that's your what shit. It is. I mean, you know, to uh, to uh, I mean, I, I know the Navy SEALs and buds. Part of their curriculum is they write a book and make a movie. So <laughs> well, yeah, so, no, that's so that's, that's absolutely true. Like, if, yeah, it, it, yeah. Are you really a SEAL if you haven't written a book and been on Fox? <laughs> You guys are fucking terrible. <laughs> Let's go into Iman's article now. Yeah. yeah Assholes. Right, so <laughs> so uh, why applying special forces doctrine is essential to law enforcement. Do you know, by the way, Jeff, do you know yeah. that fucking Iman is awesome? I do know that he's awesome. <laughs> every other episode, I, I he tells every, people. Yeah, I think every other episode. I think I, we start off season two by saying how I'm awesome. Think, what, what's your line? What's oh, your, oh, thank you for my service. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> thank me for my service. Yeah, thank me for my service. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Iman wrote a really cool article. Have I read this one? No, yeah. Uh, no, you haven't actually. This is this is one of the ones that you haven't oh, read. You, you right. wanted to kind of be surprised. Surprised. I like being surprised. Yeah. So uh, go okay. on, dude. Uh, <laughs> wheels just turned in my head way too much. Go on, you fucking sicko. Go on. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so um, in in my article, so I wrote this back October twelfth of twenty twenty. Um, you know, uh, when, when, and Jeff, you know, as well as I do, when people hear U.S. Army Special Forces and law enforcement, they're like, oh my God, like their, yeah. their hearts dropping like, oh, this is a militarization of police and this is bullshit and they don't need that kind yeah, of training. Yeah. They don't need to do that mm -hmm. kind of shit, whatever, whatever. And you and I both know that's not what it's about. Correct. 
You know, so so it's yeah, U.S. Army Special Forces. I mean, what what is the training? Yeah, sure, uh, close quarter battle, CQB, uh, <laughs> some other awesome training where you could do halo jumps out of out of planes and and yep. all kinds of different shit. You know, real cool shit. Yeah, but, but really, the goal, the the duty, or the job of a special forces or a green beret team is is as a force multiplier you know it's about it's about enabling and yeah you have assets and you have you have skills and you have stuff that you can do and you can go do all that cool stuff but i mean the real story you know as we look at afghanistan or 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 vietnam or iraq or anything else the real story is not the you know the super secret missions it's the you know a team goes in and trades five six hundred you know afghan commandos you know that's that that means that you know, a battalion of the 82nd of American sons and daughters don't have to, don't have to do that combat task. And so, you know, that's, that's really the, you know, the sexy stuff is what everybody sees and what movies are made about. But the the real thing that I think a lot of, a lot of us that, that deployed as green berets are proud of is, is the training that we did and the, 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 you know, making that, you know, helping that country, you know, I hate to say, but, Helping that country have the opportunity to stand on its own, oh, whether uh, it did or not, is is, is still kind of fresh <laughs> yeah, in everybody's mind. Yeah, exactly. And 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 that's the thing where uh, actually in my article I, I talk about it about you know how the it, we're inundated on in the news about how you know U.S. Army Special Forces conducting raids or engaging in firefights throughout the world, movies, TVs, implying Special Forces members like Rambo take on entire battalions of combat soldiers by themselves. Yeah. You know, totally, you know, totally unrealistic. They use extreme excessive force, and it's like, holy shit, Hollywood, yeah. Hollywood, relax a little. And, uh, yeah, and, and they all have PTSD, and they're all, oh, they're yeah, all yeah, 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 they're all, they're all, yeah. yeah, they're all broken fucking guys that can't do shit. And it's, it's, yeah. it's so... You know, so now it, now we look at a, at a police department, right? So the structure mm-hmm. of a police department, uh, although each department is different around the country, generally you have chiefs, uh, sheriffs, superintendent, or deputy chiefs, the captains, yeah. uh, the yeah. hierarchy, uh, sergeants, uh, down to patrol. But this is the basic chain of command of police departments, uh, kind of like the <coughs> army with the private uh, specialists, uh, just that, you know, all the way up. And, um, and now the different units within policing, Patrol division, gang yeah. units, canine, SWAT, street crime, uh, problem-solving, uh, problem-oriented policing units, community service units, bomb techs. Those are all, you know, the different types of missions. Each, each one, exactly. Yeah. Each specialty assignment has its own mission. But in in the ground, so so when you break them all down and break them further, you can draw the analogy of how special forces doctrine can be applied. Uh, into law enforcement, as in not so much the direct action missions, but more of the UW part, right? The yeah. un- unconventional, you know, it's called unconventional warfare, and people are going to be like, "Oh my god, unconventional warfare! You're talking about gorilla shit, you know? <laughs> going, uh, going, yeah. uh, you know, setting up booby traps where you're like, no, 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 rainbow time shit, timeout. I mean, I, I had a, uh, you know, I have uh, myself and Pete have a good friend. He's a uh, uh, Green Beret, uh, Bob Scali, he was in 7th Group, and he, he would tell us back in the 80s, part of his UW mission in Columbia, he said he was helping farmers mow, yeah. you know, like like build crops, you know, yeah. and, and he was doing, like, all kinds of cool things that you would never guess that, you know, uh, U.S. Army uh, personnel would actually do because all you see in Hollywood is the flashy shit. Well, there's a direct correlation with that shit in community service. Well, that's the, exactly, and and that's that's the thing. So, so... Jeff, real quick, in, in, in your experience as, as a cop and, and as a special forces soldier, do you see a link between the two? I do. And, and um, you just alluded to it a, a, a second ago, like, you know, 
a lot of what we did in the special forces was about how to talk to people and how to engage the population and speak in their language. Right. Yep. So I went to language school for, for Arabic and it's like, you know, I wasn't very good at it, but I was good enough to where I could kind of get by and kind of build some rapport because I spoke the language. I understood their customs and courtesies and all that kind of stuff. And that translates directly to the street cop on the ground who yep. is going to go into, you know, we all come from different socioeconomic backgrounds and then we yep. find ourselves um, answering radio calls that generally aren't equivalent to where our background is. So we have to learn how to, you know, speak the language and understand the hopes, fears, and dreams of the people that we're talking to. And they're, and they're different. I mean, people, you know, many people that we encounter on patrol are, you know, they're, they don't know where their next meal is coming from. They, they don't know who their parents are. Maybe they don't know, anything they're strung out on drugs or they're strung on prescription drugs are being given to them by doctors and, and, and they just don't know. And so we have to be able to, one of the, one of the big things that I see on a general level that, that special forces doctrine can be applied is just that ability to talk to people in their space and not, you know, not bark at them and not, you know, just, just, you know, constantly be on, be in that command, that command mode. Um, And that's something I think that, that, was reinforced to me in my early days in the special forces was like, man, rank didn't really matter. You know, we would yeah. be out on a range. My, my captain is out there picking up brass, yeah. you know, just like, just like anybody else. And so you kind of learn that, that rank is just a function. And, and if you, if you can communicate and you can speak and you can get your ideas across, that's how you become effective. And, and that's how, I mean, I'm proud to say I get an almost no use as a force at work, and I think a lot of it is because I can communicate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, t- 100%. That, that, that's, and, and that's the thing that, you know, uh, piece the same way, I'm the same way. Majority, a lot of good cops are that way where they can talk someone into handcuffs, and I, I've yeah. done that hundreds, hundreds. of thousands yeah. of times in all my arrests that I've done where I didn't have to fight. Maybe, what, maybe 0.5% I actually fought. And Look, there's going to be times where you have times, to. and it's going to. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah. what it is. And th- but, but you but, watch some of the younger officers, and it's like they're getting in fights all the time. And oh I'm yeah. Like, Dude, what are you? Do- what are you doing? And then I go to calls, and I hear the way they talk to people, and I'm like, okay, here's 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 the learning point that that you need. You know, b- before you're so physically broken, you can't come to work well, anymore. Well, how many how many times, Jeff, have you like gotten into a situation? I can tell you personally in my career, my 20 years. There's probably been a hundred times where I've walked into a situation and I had to fucking defuse the cop and the suspect. Yeah. Yeah. Because the yeah, cop yeah. was like L escalating it and yeah. fucking all that shit. And now yeah. I had to deal with it before we all went hands on with this guy. Yeah. 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 I I mean I've done that within the next within the past couple days, I could tell yeah. for sure. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That so. was that was today for me. <laughs> the, the, the thing that I'm seeing now, even just from the few few minutes that we're talking about, is there's a big correlation between you know special forces and and the hierarchy the structure of how these things are working with mm-hmm. the police departments right police departments are advertised as a paramilitary organization anyway yeah right and people yeah. know that yeah it's like a known i don't know why you know uniforms and fucking big guns are such a big problem these days okay <laughs> but it's always been a paramilitary organization there's always yep. been rank there's always been structure yep. there's always been units there's always been you know SWAT units, for example. Yeah. You felt like you were in the military. Well, to me, a SWAT unit to me is to me is a is a direct action mission is exactly. a direct action yep. unit. We yeah. have an objective, yeah. we have a mission, we have all these things, and we go hit the objective, do what we gotta do. And what's great with SWAT, kind of like SF, there is no rank. Yeah. If if the team is right, well, because there's some like teams team. where <laughs> Yeah, there's some teams, yeah. Like my team, there's no rank. Exactly. We're all yeah. we're all SWAT guys, and that's right. it. Yeah. 
you're you have position but not rank. Exactly. We have element le- yeah. we have element leaders yep. that are patrolmen and yep. under their command they yep. got sergeants and lieutenants. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the way our team is as well. Yeah. Well, well, look, a lot of times these units when you know when you have a good team that's functioning together and they've been functioning for years together and properly, when pin goes to primer, yeah. it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your rank is. Yeah. If you can't shoot and you're a fucking sergeant, I'm not going to listen to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean that that's the thing with with kind of the the reason why I wrote this because uh, in in my unit, uh the problem problem oriented policing unit that I do, it's really unconventional policing. Mm-hmm. It's that outside the box thinking which I love. I love a good challenge where I don't have to do the typical, all right, I'm going to investigate, then I'm going to get a search warrant, and then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do that, then I'm going to do this, you know, as, 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 a, as a detective when I did that in major crimes. Um, but in this unit, I've taken literally the special forces, some of the special forces UW, and applied it, where I tell guys, I'm like, guys, go, you can go up to anyone and talk. Right. You know, like, you know, I work with great guys that get it, but on the patrol level, you see the disconnect big it's time. It's a big time disconnect. And, and, yeah. and Jeff, you're right. Like they just don't know how to talk to people. And, and, you know, 99% of our job is talking, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, de- de-escalating, yep. uh, you know, yeah. learning about people like me. I love, I love talking to people and, and just learning about their lives. And, and you have, mm-hmm. and you know, as well as I do, you, you get an ally. You or know, an oh asset, yeah, yeah, yeah. or an yeah. asset, you know, or a CI, or whatever. Because uh, there's been numerous times where I've gotten tips from people in the neighborhood. Right. Hey, that John Smith you were looking for that got the three warrants, he he actually just got home. Yeah. That's to me. That's the win. But if you don't build the rapport with the people, then then that's not going to happen. Exactly. And and you and know? and like the way I see it is, you, you know, we, we have different populations of different cultures. We have a Cambodian mm-hmm. population. We have Chinatown. We have, uh, you know, Lebanese population. We have, you know, uh, populations is just the way it is. Anthropo- Why are you leaving out the Greeks, dude? Because I, I don't talk about you guys. Wow, you exactly. motherfucker. <laughs> Holy shit. That's recorded, Jeff. You heard that shit. Uh, whatever. All right. I stand by I, my I statement. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it's so different. But uh, what I find is if you even like just tr- trying to say hello in their language, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, it makes a world of difference. Even understanding a little bit Cambodian culture, a little bit of Chinese culture, a little bit of Japanese culture. I'll tell you a quick story, quick story, and you'll appreciate this too, Jeff. Is my So growing up, my I was first generation here, right? And my dad, uh, hardworking guy, he had a couple of stores. One of them was a, a, like a convenience store, like a packy, right? Okay. Yeah. And anytime, like he got to know his customers and stuff like that. He barely spoke English. Yeah. Okay. But anytime any of the, he would call them the Americans, anytime the Americans would come in and they would say a Greek word to him, like Yasu or like a hello or something like that, you'd see the smile across his face. Yeah. And he was like, wow, this guy, and there was a lot of cops. There's a long story as to why there was a lot of cops, but he'd be like, wow, this guy's trying to learn my culture. Yeah. And they'd be like instant friends. Yeah. And yeah, I would yeah. look at these guys and be like, that's like community policing at its best. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> you know what, what I mean? And For it, sure. You're, you're making, you're making a personal connection, which, which, which really shows empathy and caring. Right. I mean, that's, and that's what people want. People want people, the, the, the kind of the divide that we have with the civilian population and the police population today is that they're standing on opposite sides of this abyss and 
the people that we serve, they, they honestly just want to be cared about. They kind of, they want to be left alone when it's time to be left alone. They don't want to be harassed, which we all can, you know, appreciate that. But when we have to interact with the, with the public, um, they, they want to be respected and they want to be treated with, with dignity, even if they are a shithead, right? Or in the wrong, right? Yeah. They, 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 they want to be treated with dignity and respect and that's what they deserve. And I think that, that through media, they've, there's been this storyline that, well, if, if a cop comes across you, basically all that's going to happen is you're going to get, you know, beat and stomped and rights taken and all this other kind of stuff. And that's just not true. And so, so when you make that effort to relate to somebody on a personal level, it, it, it shows empathy and it shows caring and, and, and that, that melts, resolve a lot of times um just just right just right off the get-go just by being a human being oh and, you know if 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 you went to a neighbor's house and you were arguing with a neighbor and you didn't have your badge and your gun and all of that kind of stuff how would you get through it you get through it with with caring and compassion and i think that that's that's what people see and and that transcends the badge and the uniform and the scary guns and the you know well that's what that's what stuff. i told people in my interactions with them in, in, in my unit, I tell them, ignore the badge or no, ignore what, what I'm wearing. Talk to me as a you know, human guy, being, yeah, uh, you know, man to man, yeah. you know, man up. And you know, if, if it's a male, I tell him, Hey man up, dude, like what's going on, you know? And, yeah. and I'm here, I'm here to figure this out. We will, well, we'll work together. That's the foundation of project sapient. Yeah. Like that's the whole meaning of sapient. We want to make sure that we bring back our human roots yeah. into yeah. policing. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's it's the ultimate in community policing. Whether I get dropped in the worst part of the city, I'm going to treat, I always even used to tell the new guys all the time, like anybody that I would train or whatever, even SWAT operators, when you train them this and yeah. that, you always treat somebody as if it's your mother. Exactly. If you do that, then you're going to have a great career. Uh, I, I actually have a great <laughs> yeah. picture of one of our SWAT guys after an operation, the bad, the, uh, bad guy we end up nabbing. Um, his dog needed to go out to pee. Yeah. We, I actually have a picture of a SWAT operator with, with this tiny little chihuahua-looking thing. <laughs> taking a, It's taking a piss, and it was the funniest. Like To me, I was like, oh, this is, uh, this is hilarious and awesome at the same <laughs> yeah. time because just yeah, watching yeah. a SWAT guy take a little dog out, you know, to, but, but he appreciated it, right? Of course. Because he knows he did bad. That's why he He's under arrest, but at the same time, we treated him with that respect, even even after <laughs> flashbanging every room and doing what we do. But uh, but he he appreciated that, and and that's the thing with with being an unconventional police officer, not the typical command presence, yell at everyone, knife hand at everybody, and and just be that asshole that you you know every day. That's not necessary Here, at all. Here's the one thing that I've learned about yeah, having dreadful. that that yeah. command presence. And and Jeff, tell me what you think about this too, right? I mean, yeah. I kind of have an idea of what you think. Yeah. It's obviously good to have a command presence. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yep. It, especially in the first few seconds of you know somebody sizing you up and vice versa, right? But I have found in the real world that command presence and like the knife handing and the being the asshole and being the jerk and being the, you know, uh, being the Hitler, so to speak, only works for somebody that's willing to fucking take it. Yeah. Because how many times yeah, have you been like, I'm the cop yeah. and the guy's been like, fuck you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, and what are you going to do? You yeah, know, exactly. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's like, it doesn't get anywhere. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think too, that, that part of that is that, um, you know, that's kind of what people are expecting because that's what, again, movies and TV shows and the media tells them to expect. So when we, you know, it's like any stereotype group, when you yeah. act in the mode of the stereotype, it just reinforces people's already 
you know, bad impressions of you, right? Oh, yeah. So if 100%. you're going out and you're going to be the asshole cop, everyone's like, yep, that's that's what we expect, and then they turn off. But when yep. you, again, when you approach somebody and show dignity and respect and just talk to them like a human being and, and all that, then it's like, oh, okay, I can, you know, I can... I can at least let my guard down enough to let this guy or gal do their job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's that's the whole again, uh, like I said, the whole idea behind behind being an unconventional cop. And and for the for those who listen who don't understand uh, what this unconventional warfare slash unconventional cop. I mean, I'll give you a quick Department of Defense uh, defines uh, yeah. uh, unconventional warfare as activities to enable resistant movement or insurgency to coerce, disrupt, or overthrow a government or occupying power through the. Th- uh, and with uh, an underground auxiliary and guerrilla force in a denied area. So to me, how do you apply that to law enforcement, right? So to me, it's it's it says all right. Let example a, a known drug dealer, right? Fentanyl drug dealer that moved into the neighborhood. We know that neighborhood goes to shit as yeah. soon as a drug dealer moves yeah. in. We know it, it goes way downhill. So an unconventional police unit. We'll go into the affected area, work with the neighborhood, talk to the addicts, teach people in the neighborhood how to detect drug dealings. Eventually, in short order, they do the they do most of the work for us to get the probable cause or whatever to do what we need to do. Right. You know, be, mm-hmm. and at the same time, now this neighborhood feels empowered and trained to deal with any future issue and trust the police is gained. And this is the whole idea behind winning hearts and minds is you're actually showing how much you care by talking to every single person who's affected by whatever's going on in that neighborhood. But again, there's a direct correlation with that and what you guys were doing deployed. Yeah. I mean, hearts yeah, and minds. The, yep. Exactly. The, the one the one the one issue I take or the one thing that I think is missing is and I agree I reread your article last night when when I was at work yep. and I agree with everything that you're saying in there. The, the one piece that I think is missing, and I've and and I didn't I've been at two different agencies here in East Texas now, and then I was with LAPD, right? Yeah, yeah. And all the agencies I've been associated with are very stovepipe, right? Yeah. So narcotics is doing their thing. Yeah. Um, community policing is doing their thing. Patrol is doing their thing. And there's no, um, there's no synergy between them. There's no, you know, cell that's bringing them together. And in the military and in SF specifically, we had that. We always had that. You know, you had the A teams on the ground, you had the B teams, and you had, you know, you had the different layers that were taking all the information, putting it together for a common operational picture, and then pushing it back down. Yeah, See, that, here that, it's, so, it's yeah. too compartmentalized here. Yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, no, exactly. everyone, everyone owns their own unit, right? Detect, oh, it does my investigation. Don't touch it. Like, yeah, because I, everyone's afraid that somebody else is going to get credit for something. Well, and so we get too focused on the credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and then, and so so at the ground level, like you're saying, Eamon, the 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 community policing that your that your unit is doing that is is perfect, but if it's not tied in with patrol and it's not tied in with you know persons detectives and property detectives and and everybody else, and if the administration doesn't understand it, then you can do great things in a very small small pocket, but it's not going to go anywhere. And, and that's exactly. the problem I see. And that's where like the leadership piece comes in that I've been trying to to really get after is is how do we enable leadership to understand how this works and how do we enable leadership to really um, um, take it to the next level and encourage it and promote based on it and not just, not just, you know, you know, not just look away from it. And I think a lot of that comes into, we got to break out of the typical training environment. You know, we've got to send, we've got to send, you know, law enforcement leaders to some of these, you know, 
military leadership schools where they learn stuff like that, I think, you know? It's, oh, I agree. That 100%. and also, like, Iman and I have done so much training in the police department, right? Yep. And and you have too, Jeff. And the one thing, the reason why even Project Sapien came about was we're going to be doing a ton of training yeah. on people. And it's going to be very intense type of, you know, stress inoculation and stuff like that. Yep. The one common denominator that I realized through all of my years was leadership never went through the training. No. Yes. And it's, wait a minute, why? And Sapient is going to be doing that for a lot of the leadership, mm -hmm. right? Why did, you know, somebody that's, and I'm not dogging anybody, somebody that's been a commander of a unit for the last 20 years has never done room clearing. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a little fucked up to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guys that haven't been in patrol in 10 or 15 years have absolutely no earthly concept what it's like to be in patrol today. And that's different. I think. I feel that that's a bit different than what we find in the military where, you know, a battalion commander or brigade commander, yeah, they're pretty far removed from the platoon leader on the ground, but they're still really connected to those, right. to those junior leaders and understand kind of what's happening on the ground. And even in a small agency, the two agencies I've been with here are about 200, about 200 people total, right? And the, the chiefs and, and the, you know, a lot of the chief deputy types, like they, they don't have a good understanding of what's going on in patrol because, man, they promoted out of it 15 years ago and, you know, they've just kind of gone their way. And so, and they isolated um, themselves. Yeah. 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 And that's what was required. And that's what, unfortunately the, the culture is that's what's required for them to continue to advance. Yeah, exactly. And, and it doesn't allow any room for real improvement in terms of leading your police officers on the streets. You're, you're, yeah. you're, and actually, myself and me, we were just talking about how law enforcement went from being law enforcement to all of a sudden having this business mindset hi hierarchy. Yeah. Where now, mindset. now, you know, instead of being a lieutenant or 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 a sergeant, now you're referred to as a supervisor. You're so you're you're referred to as a police manager. It's like, yeah, no. That's, I'm gonna, that's I'm not gonna, what we do. You, you, know? you just made me think of there was a back in the day when I first started on patrol, there was a, a supervisor, a sergeant at the time. He actually helped me. We got we had a fantastic relationship. He actually pulled me out of a wrecked car, believe it or not. Right. And we had a fantastic relationship. And I watched him through his career rise to he's a captain now. And now he's going to be in, in like the administration. Yeah. Right. Um you say his name to anybody in the in the department, anybody in the department, and they're like, oh my God, the most incredible guy, the most this and that. He actually drives around. He's not like he's checking on his patrol guys, right? But he's driving around. He'll back somebody up on a traffic stop. He wears his yeah. vest. Yeah. He wears his I mean, that, vest in I mean, his he, office. He gets it lead by example. Lead by example. Yeah. The man wears his vest in his office. Yeah. And it's not because he's scared or anything like that. He's doing exactly what you said. Yeah. He's trying to well, have his finger on the pulse of what's going on. The opposite of that is the agency that I that I left recently, where um, they would prescribe books to read to the sergeants. Like <laughs> like, and, and the big one, and the big one that, that everybody wants to read is, is Extreme Ownership, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And, which is a great book. And and you know, if you follow Jocko and some of his stuff, I mean, I mean, the dude's smart, and he's and, and he's got his sure. finger on the pulse of like of like business leadership. But they would they would tell the sergeants and the lieutenants, hey, we want you to read these. We want you to read this book. We want you to understand this. We're not going to practice it, but we want you to read it and understand it. And it's like, well, you know, if you're going to if you're, if you're going to give me something, it's because you you looked at it and said this is the way that we should be, and that's not what's happening. And I think that that's a reflection of many agencies where it's like, you know, they. 
they're missing the boat on how to develop leaders and they're missing the boat. And what that translates to as far as, you know, the flying SF doctrine is, so we're getting great veterans coming out of, you know, the, the GWAT era, right. Yep. And, they're, and they're in patrol and they're doing stuff and they come up with, they come up with these ideas because they've been in Afghanistan and Iraq and Africa and some of these other places. And, th- and they've, they've had to deal with problems that regular police officers will never deal with. Yeah. And so, they try to bring some of this unconventional mindset into it. It's like, whoa, 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 stop, stop. Exactly. Uh, that, that's, that's, is, yeah, is, exactly. is that part of the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement? If yeah. it's not, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, exactly. You know? it, 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 so, I mean, you know, from my experience, uh, being deployed to Iraq and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm from Lebanon and I speak Arabic and everything, um, I really got to learn the idea of UW while being deployed because I spoke Arabic. I, I would, I was fortunate to work with different units um, yeah. and being able to, because one thing that, that, you know, anyone, <laughs> I'm sure even like in your group, Oh, uh, you got a, an American soldier who's Arabic and speaks fluent Arabic. Right. And uh, yeah, let's take them, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. so, you know, I'd go out and, and I do all these missions. I do all these meetings with these higher ups uh, in the Iraqi uh, population and, and stuff like that. And, I really had to learn. I mean, at the time I was, uh, when I deployed, what, 23 years old, a 23 year old, I had to learn very quickly on how to address the issues that are going on in our, in our, uh, AO, uh, area of yep. operation. Uh, well, and that's the piece that we miss in law enforcement, right? Cause what you're talking about is commander's intent, right? Yeah. Yep. So, so you, so at 23 years old, you understood commander's intent cause they briefed it to you and we, and we had not in the military, we have an orders process, yep. and we have a process for developing intelligence. Yep. And so you understand commander's intent. Yep. What we find, or what I've found in my experience in, in law enforcement is it's it's so much more micromanagement because they just don't know how to do otherwise. Yeah, and so, exactly. Yeah, so so even even that 23-year, 24-year-old police officer that's out by themselves in a, you know, a gang-infested area um, – if they understand commander's intent, then they can operate. But if they are looking over their shoulder, waiting for the sergeant to tell them what to do next, because if they make a wrong decision, they're going to, you know, if they make a decision that's inconsistent with what the, you know, the chief wants today, then, then they're going to, then their job is in jeopardy. And so, so, you know, again, it goes, the part of the unconventional doctrine that you're talking about is, is how do we communicate commander's intent and how do we, how do we take commander's intent and not have a cookie cutter response to it? Exactly. You know, like, exactly. Okay. Well, well we want, we want, you know, fatalities reduced here. Okay. Everybody do traffic stops. You know, it's like, man, <laughs> I bet somebody has a better idea if yeah. you just give them the chance. Well, you know? it, well, it's, you, it, it's that cookie, like you said, the cookie cutter, right? So we, we get a lot of accidents in this intersection. Yeah. Let's put a patrol guy right there and you know, he'll have to stay there for two hours during rush hour to minimize accidents or what, uh, like I said, it, but it doesn't allow you that outside the box thinking, well, let, let, well, let's see what's going on here. Well, that, yeah. and what happens when he leaves? Accidents happen. You talked about this in your article when you brought up the, uh, the, like the broken windows theory. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and, and that's the thing. So, so like with broken windows, uh, for people that, that really don't understand it, it's, it's an idea that came down from, uh, I believe it was, uh, the NYPD. New York. Yeah. New York. Yeah. Um, yeah. where if, if, uh, basically, uh, in a nutshell, if a neighborhood looks shitty, shitty people are going to be there and shitty things are going to happen essentially. Yeah. And yeah. when you go in and, and for example, like, you know, this example, when, when, 
Um, I, I'm pretty sure you read it, uh, Jeff, where the landlord uh, was known in this neighborhood to have a criminal element in a rooming house and a bedroom, and he would charge $500, and he would end up taking their welfare cards too. But patrol division would, like, we, they would always go there all the time, multiple times a day for fights, yeah. overdoses, drug dealing, stabbings, you name it. But And it oh, wasn't stopping the problem. Oh, no, no, it wasn't stopping the problem. So one day... It, I go there for a stabbing. I end up. Uh, I was in the unconventional unit, and, and and I went there because there was a stabbing. Because you know, multiple units showed up, and as patrol division was working the situation, I walked around and noticed noticed things in the house. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like building code violations and certain things that were off. And I ended up just <laughs> very quickly. Uh, I ended up uh, sh- uh, condemning the entire house, and the homeowner lost his house. Mm. The owner of that house. And I'll tell you, that neighborhood, you got to see kids play outside again. All of a sudden, people are cleaning up. It, it like Yeah, and you didn't do that through through making a bunch of arrests. No. Right? No. So you, so, and that's, and that's that, like, understanding the commander's intent and, and not being given a scripted path to get there. And that's, that's what I think more law enforcement agencies need from their leadership is, is just that right there. And that will encourage a lot of this UW kind of mindset is like, man, cause think about it in SF. We didn't, we didn't get a way to do it. We, we just told, we just got told this is the end result we want. Just get there. Make, make sure it's legal and moral and ethical. Right. So, okay. so it's funny you say that. So my unit, when it was first formed, uh, mm-hmm. our chief's direction and his commander's intent was, Hey guys, I want you guys to, look at top calls for service persons, top calls for service locations, and drug overdoses. And those were the only That's three it. things that he gave us. And so I remember me and my partner. Now, my partner was a Desert Storm veteran. Um, I'm a Iraq War veteran. My uh, lieutenant, who's now a deputy chief, fucking probably one of the best uh, uh, police commanders you'll ever meet um, because he gets it. Um, he was uh, the lieutenant in charge. And we were, we all sat around, we're like, all right, what the fuck? So we only got these three things and it just kind of dawned on us. I'm like, you know what? And we all said it kind of simultaneously, let's take special forces doctrine and implement it into the unit. And this is when the unit first started and right away, the chief started seeing his intent get out on the road where we're shutting down. We shut down in one year, we shut down 18 rooming houses for various violations, building gold violations. They ended up, it got to the point where we had slumlords come to the unit and tell us, what do I need to do so I don't get shut down? Yeah, and you can leave me alone. <laughs> and you can, exactly. That's and, effective and, policing. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of doing, like you said, Jeff, instead of doing the cookie cutter, go to this freaking drug house every single day, multiple times a day, and just make arrests, and all you're doing is putting yeah. a bandaid on it because you know what? You send them to court, what's court going to do? They're going to release them. Right away, yep. <laughs> and is right back into that same cycle. So, what kind of what I see is, it, it, as an unconventional police officer, you're there to make a permanent solution to a temporary problem, right? So, yeah. you, you, instead mm-hmm. of making that temporary problem over and over again, no, the the, the neighbors, the, the the normal people that live in that neighborhood, they, they're tired of it. You talk to them. Oh yeah. If you talk to every single one, they yep. are tired of it, and they they, just, they, they don't just know what to, be do. Able to Hang out outside. Exactly. Have the kids play all that kind of stuff. Exactly. And when we shut down that house, I, I, I'm telling you, it was some, it was amazing just to see people come out, and and it was amazing to see. Now here's the elephant in the room. 
right? The elephant in the room is that we're failing to mention that a lot of these leaders right now, a lot of these chiefs and lieutenants and commanders have somebody above them yeah. called politicians. Yeah. That if we think leadership doesn't have their finger on the pulse of what's going on, politicians certainly don't oh, have no, their fingers don't. on the pulse. Completely so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, right? So a lot of times, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, a lot of times the chief that is the cookie cutter check the box chief is just answering to somebody in the city council yeah. or the, the mayor. Council, yep. They're dumping I mean, it all on him. Work for, yeah, I, I currently work for a sheriff who's an elected official. Now, fortunately, the, the organization that I'm in right now, I mean, has phenomenal leadership. But the but the other side of that is you're right. There's there's the chiefs and the sheriffs and the those people that are answering to elected officials or the city councils. But there's also the up the other end, the like the deputies that we get in the new police officers we get, these guys don't know like anything. No, they don't you know? <laughs> Unless you're getting good solid veterans, like I mean, you know, and they're doing the best they can, but like we're we're bringing in these guys, we're giving them very minimum um, very minimum training. We, we stick them with an FTO and the intent of the training is decent, but they just, there's just no depth to it. And so they get out on their own and it's like, man, they just don't know what they're doing. And then there's no, there's no, there's nothing but experience. There's nothing but experiential learning, right? There's yes, no, right. you know, there's no system to help, to help get them better unless they just happen to get under the wing of a good police officer, yeah. you know? And, and so you have on one end, you have, like you're saying, the chiefs and the, you know, the brass who's answering to God knows who and elected officials yep. and politicians and voters. And then you have on the other end, you have, you know, these really green, green guys and gals that, that want to do the right thing, but they just don't know what the hell they're doing. Right. And the people that are in the middle that are the, that are the guys, like, I think, you know, the three of us are, and the people that, that we kind of associate with, we're the exception. Yeah. And so how do we make that not the exception in SF, if you think about it, or in, in the army, or in the military as a whole. Special operations is such a small percentage, and they're specially selected, and they have so much money and resources yep. behind them. We here in East Texas, at least, we only have enough money to put guys out on patrol and have them do their job. We don't have, you know, we have money for training, but it's not a whole lot, you know. And so, so that's an those three things, that ability to have time and money and resources, have good candidates on one end and good leadership on the on the other. I mean, that's you know, if you find that it's the man, golden ticket, man. It's yes, yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, that's that's the perfect world of of, of policing. Um yeah. you know, police departments of having I mean, I'm I'm fortunate where where I have a chief that tells politicians don't fuck with his department because it's his department, you know, like yeah. where I'm going to do what, what needs to be done. Right. And, and that's it. And that's just the way it is. Um, and, and he, he does a great job by just letting me do what I do. Well, that's the thing because you're, you're also, you know? you've also shown that you're capable. Yeah, I know. I get it. And, and you know, he'll like, for example, today he gave me a call and said, Hey, I got this, uh, this, uh, problem for you. And he explained everything and all that. And I was like, all right, Roger that. And that's all, that's all the information I got right now. Tomorrow we're going to go and, you know, again, assess, right. Kind of like UW when you, when you get dropped off, 
you assess, yeah. you figure out what's going on, you figure out what you need to do to help. Because like you said, Jeff, in, with SF, when you guys get dropped, it's like, all right, well, we know the overall mission, but what the fuck? <laughs> I think a yeah. lot of, yeah. a lot of, and I noticed it, Jeff, I don't know if you know my background, but when I, I was in special ops for a very long time. And when I came out, there was a, a completely unrelated issue as to why I came out. Um, I went back to patrol and I started applying. I was a, I was a special ops cop, right? So I started applying things that I would do on my day to day on patrol. And I yeah. became very effective. And people were like, half the time when I would do stuff, it wasn't very crazy stuff. People would be like, we could do that. And I'd turn around and look at some of these guys and be like, what the fuck do you mean we can do that? Yeah. Like, yeah, knowledge, knowledge is, is, is tough. And, you know, and, and I know you guys are working on stuff and there's, there's street cop training out there. That's, that's really doing, I think a bang up job in, in, in providing knowledge for, for police officers, but knowledge is man, just, just something simple. Like I was having a conversation with a guy the other night. Um, he didn't pull over this car and we were talking about it. And, you know, he's kind of a newer guy. And I was like, so, so, well, you know, what was your thought process? He goes, well, I was calling the car and, you know, and he, and he listed all of these reasons why this car should be stopped. And he goes, but I couldn't get probable cause for the traffic stop. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, like, that's, is that more of a fear thing though? I'm like, dude, well, no, it's just, it's just lack of knowledge because, you know, the idea that, you know, you can do, you can conduct a traffic stop based on reasonable suspicion and, you know, right. conduct investigation is so foreign to people because it's just not really taught or reinforced. I got, when I was in the police academy here in Texas, I got told one time that we don't ever take our batons out because your baton is deadly force. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> like, you know, and I came from LAPD in the yeah. 90s where we had where we, where we had side handle batons. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, you know, and so I'm like, this is like, you guys are crazy. And it was not that that was accurate. It was, well, that's just an assumption because it's because an opinion. You really don't know better. Yeah. It's so, an opinion. Exactly. And opinions so, are becoming policy. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You're, you know, and don't, don't even get me started on chokeholds, right? Like, <laughs> like, no, I mean, they're, they're yeah. super effective. Right. Yeah. And the, the agency that I left prior, just prior to the one I'm with now, we had finally put chokeholds back in our use of force policy. And then everything last summer happened. And they're like, nope, we're pulling it out. It's like, do you trust our training or not? You know? Well, yeah. Um, yeah. But that's the thing. And, but and talk about being, being enabled by, by, by leadership. The, so, this is an interesting story. So I'm like I said, I'm, I'm a deputy in a pretty decent sized County. And we have a, we have a pretty large city in the middle of our County that has their own police department. Right. Um, the city that, that is this County seat, they will tell you they don't have a drug problem. Right. Yeah. And the reason they don't have a drug problem is because the political pressure on the chief of police is, don't arrest anybody for narcotics. <laughs> so they have all these out of control, like hotels and all that. So what, so what happens is we go in there, the deputies, because our sheriff is like, arrest everybody, you right. know, like, like, do you, like do your job. And so we go in there, we start arresting people and the chief will go to the sheriff and be like, Hey, you, you got to get your guys out of the city because, um, it's making us look bad because you know, <laughs> you're doing and, your job. <laughs> and, and so for a while we'll get like an email. It's like, Hey, everybody stay away from this area. Let, let, you know, the, the local PD handle it. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. And that lasts about two weeks and then people get bored and go back in there. Yeah, yeah. And so it's interesting to watch the dichotomy between the two leadership styles. Well, like I said, our sheriff, you know, he's, he's a guy who's an ATF agent did all kinds of, you know, phenomenal, like federal law enforcement stuff. And, and he's like, 
go get it. You know, he'll do traffic stops and it's like, you know, the guy's like old doing traffic stops. And the minute he goes on a traffic stop, everyone's like, oh my God, somebody yeah. find this guy. Makes yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. But, but the difference in leadership styles is striking and, and it makes a difference in um, whether or not a community is going to be well served and well protected by the people that they're paying to protect them. That's the thing. And, and with leadership, uh, especially us, uh, uh, you know, uh, veterans, combat veterans that were overseas in the past, like you said, then with the GWAT and everything, we, uh, you have this immense amount of, uh, experienced, uh, from experience from these, uh, patrol guys and officers and yeah. leadership doesn't tap into that. I find they're threatened by it. They're they threatened are, by exactly. It. Yes. So like, exactly. So like the agency that I was with before that I left, like, they, they were threatened by the by the knowledge I was bringing in. And I kept telling them, like, hey, guys, I've already retired once. I'm not going to – I'm not looking to be the chief. I'm just hanging out for a couple of years until I get tired. So use this information. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you want? Yeah. Uh, to, make, <laughs> to make this a better place? I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, why, is yeah. it, why is it so revolutionary? Yeah. Make it a better so, place. Make sure everybody's safe. Well, People well, don't die. And, and, you know. And that's yeah. the thing. Like, I, I've, I've – you know, I know guys, uh, Ranger dr- Regiment guys, SF guys, guys, you know, 82nd, 101st, really high-speed uh, individuals that want to dump the knowledge. Like, they, they have yeah. so much knowledge, you can you can see it coming out of their teeth because they want to help. And, and they want the to make is? it better. But, but, but like, like you said, it's intimidation yeah. on the leaders. Well, they, don't, they can't take credit for it. Yeah. Iman would have to take credit for well, it, and fuck Iman. Well, well, here's the thing. Yeah, like, no, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, it's like who? Yeah, you want credit for this? I had um, when I first got on the SWAT team here, um, the SWAT commander was talking to me, and and he knew my background. He's like, so he showed me like one of their one of their uh, their op plans, right, for for a drug raid that they yep, did. Yep. And I looked at it and I said, I said, sir, to be honest, this is ridiculous. One of my lieutenants handed me this. <laughs> I said, I would fry their ass. I said, this is. He, he goes, well, can you rewrite it and show me what you do? I said, okay, sure. So I took this 50-slide PowerPoint thing and boiled it down, put it through you know, a five-paragraph off order, and, br- and brought it back to him and said, this is how we do it you know, in a you know, special forces company, a direct action special forces company. And he looked at it, he goes, oh, I've seen this before. I think this is what I've seen from the FBI HRT. I said, probably, because all those guys were trained by the same people. Yeah. And so he brought it to the rest of the team. And granted, I had just been picked up on the SWAT team, right? And a couple of the team leaders were like, why are we listening to the new guy? <laughs> That's exactly. so fucking wrong. And the lieutenant looked at him and said, this new guy has done more than most of us here will ever do. That's why we're listening to him. He's not trying to take your job, team leader. He just, I asked him, here's the information. This is how we're going to do our, do our op plans now. If you, have pro- if you have a problem with it, come see me kind of I, thing. I, I, and so, oh, yeah. you know, and after a while, after a couple months on the team, like, you know, Guys realized that I wasn't there to, you know, take their take their jobs. You know, I just chest out. To, yeah, I just wanted to make it better and not make us look like, you know, the country bumpkin tactical team. Yeah. And uh and so yeah. guys get threatened and it's like, man, you know, it's like so so you're doing this SF doctrine and you're doing unconventional policing, that's a that's a minefield is is when are you gonna step on that mine of <laughs> now somebody thinks you're you're trying to, you know, supersede them or take their job or get in their way it's like man i'm not all we're trying to do is just because in the military we don't the military gets credit the team gets the credit it's very rare again unless you're a seal that (laughs) an individual gets credit yeah you know um you know and and so we come from that background so we don't understand this idea of like who cares who gets credit let's get out there and do some good you know some good shit 
Oh yeah, no, I, I 100%. And, and that's the thing. Like, I think the military, especially with, with the wars and everything have, have made us so humble. Um, especially yeah. guys that, that, you know, saw combat and everything. We are very, we are that very humble, uh, population of warriors, uh, within the police department ranks that, Sometimes as, as if a police leader does not recognize it, it's their fault because I think that police leader should go up to that kid, you know, that young yeah. officer and be like, hey, listen, I know you were, uh, you know, whatever, Ranger 82nd, whatever, uh, you know, you can you help us make the range better? Or can you do this? Or can you come up with this? Or like you said, the op plans, Hey, uh, can you take a look at my op plan and see what you think? And not, yeah, you hired that guy for a reason. Exactly. Right? But that's the thing you hire. Exactly. You look at this guy. So for example, like we had a guy, uh, try for the SWAT team a few years ago. Awesome dude. He's still on the team and he's fucking hilarious, but he was a Marsoc guy. And you uh -huh. look at his resume and you're like, Holy fuck. This guy has been there, done that, got the t-shirt 10 times over than half the SWAT team. So, so a guy like that, I'm like, dude, you guys better be tapping into him right. for, for info and help and, and stuff. And, and what's great about our, our SWAT commander is he loves hearing from everybody, not just from the lowest boot to the but more that's, senior guy. That's leadership. Yeah. That's leadership because you know what? Call a spade a spade, right? The Marsoc guy could have had a great career, mm -hmm. but can be an idiot. Okay. Yeah. yeah and yeah, he yeah. could be going in there and giving the wrong advice. Yeah. The point is, be a leader and listen to everybody. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 that's leadership isn't about being in charge. It, exactly. exactly. That that's <laughs> you know? that's something that is really. I mean, you know, uh, you know as well as I do, Jeff. In the military, they they beat the shit out of you with that. You know, like. It, it, it's more about your men. It's not about you. You're, exactly. you're, you're, yeah. you're the lieutenant. You're the captain. You're the you're the staff sergeant. You're, you're the sergeant first class in charge of this platoon. You're you. It's not about you. And and I think the the army uh, does and, and marines and and uh, they do a great job in instilling that philosophy. I mean, we we do have toxic leaders even in military and policing. It, right. it, it happens, but a majority of the leaders that I've seen. Um, especially my battalion commander when we were in Iraq, I, which me and him are extremely close friends now. Um, he was awesome because he was, he was that commander where you can go into his office and talk to him like he's one of the guys, you know, yeah. where it, it doesn't, it, you shouldn't have to walk into the chief's office and know that, I'm the chief because this. I said this because I'm the chief. Or right. I said this because yeah. I'm the lieutenant. I'm like, You've oh, here lost we go. an argument the minute that you oh, absolutely. talk about your rank. Exactly. You know? And that's the way but I that's am. why what you're talking about, though, is why the last couple of weeks nationally have been so painful is, you know, whether you agree with how we how things happen in Afghanistan. But the way we look at it is, man, we we started look we started we didn't do things as a team. We no. failed as a team exactly. and that's what, and, and that's what that is, you know, and again, you know, not to get political, but like, but that's, that's the problem is that we failed as a team, not, not the decisions that were made or what we're doing or where we're deployed or who cares about all that crap. Right. Yeah. But we failed as a team and for a culture who believes, you know, you know, no man left behind is not just part of the Ranger creed and it's not part of the, you know, it's not just part of these creeds that we say. It's things that we believe to our core exactly. that we are not going to leave somebody behind enemy lines. The foundational. And actually, it's funny. I was, yeah. I was just talking uh, to someone about that today and because they they wanted to understand the, the anger in the veteran community, which, you know, I, yeah. I applaud them for asking because it's like, well, yeah, you need to know. And, and that's exactly it. I said the way it happened when 
against every fabric of every soldier, Marine, yeah. Navy, like everyone that had any stake in the game. It just went against everything. And that's, no, that's none, the none of us could look at that and, and rationalize why we left people in harm's way when we had the opportunity to not do it. Exactly. And so, and, 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 you know, police leadership needs to understand that they need to understand that the guys and gals that they're getting that are combat veterans that are, that are solid performers that have that path. They're not a threat to your organization. They, they compliment, are, they compliment your yeah, organization. And, and they're, and they're going to be a force multiplier. If you just let them, if you just let them be unconventional and think outside the box. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think the relationship between uh, the public and the police would thousandfold get better. Oh yeah. You know, because again, you, you're taking that approach of, you know, uh, the humble, uh, approach or you're taking that approach under UW where you're like, listen, I'm here to help the whole neighborhood. I'm, I'm, I, I'm just one cop. I need, I need help from you. And that's what I do. I, I tell the entire community that I'm working in, I'm like, listen, I'm not the only one who, who's got to do this. Everybody yeah. has to help out. So I involve everybody in any, whatever problem that's happening in a community neighborhood. And, and, the biggest disconnect that that we have, like you said, Jeff, though, is everyone's comp compartmentalized. Like, yeah, your your unit is just your unit, and I was like, no, it, it's everybody. It's it goes from detectives all the way down to the lowest patrol guy in this yeah. police department to make this happen. It's, and a it, good arrest is a good arrest for the agency. Exactly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who put the cuffs on. It doesn't matter who booked him into jail. Yep. It doesn't matter who put the last pieces together to get the warrant. A good arrest. If you arrest freaking Charles Manson, right? That's the agency that succeeded, and the agency only succeeds because everybody does their job. So the compartmentalization that you're talking about gets down to victims where you know persons detectives want to be able to say, "Hey, we, you know, yep. we did I it. detected yeah, Marshburn. I yeah. got that." You know, yeah. it's like, no, man. The, so the freaking agency wins. It, it reminds me of my experience in special ops on the SWAT team. How many times? And I'm and tell me if this is true. And you too, Jeff, if, from your experience in SWAT, how many times would you help out? I mean, because we were full time, we were always active, we were mm -hmm. always out on the street, right? And we were doing, you know, attack cars and gun cars and all that stuff. How many times would you get a gun off someone? And you got no credit I, and you didn't yeah. give a yeah, shit. I didn't care. I didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Half the time, my name would never be in the report. Yeah. I don't, I, well, when I first got into back when it was still classified and I first got into like, like the direct action side and supporting yeah. some of the special units out there. I mean, we all wore flight suits and, yeah. and things covering our faces and all this kind of stuff. You didn't know who anybody was. Exactly. And all it was, was dudes in black helicopters land, do a bunch of shit and then leave. And a lot of times we would give foreign governments and foreign military the credit, even though they weren't even there. That's ex because that, exactly because it didn't matter. We could go back and we could high five each other all day long. You know, the three of us would be on the helicopter heading back to the PZ be like, dude, that shit was badass. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. We get back and yeah. hang out yeah. and you will flip on the news and you just kind of smile because you're like, ah, cool. And you, you didn't, know? and you like, didn't cry about it. Holy shit. No, you were, you were excited <laughs> about it. And, and, I mean, we make fun of SEALs a lot, but that's been, in the special operations right. community, that's been the problem that we've seen in the last 10 years is like, man, for a special operations community who prides itself on being quiet professionals. Now you're not quiet. Fucking book. You're, you're, it's like, dude, you're making this about yourself. You know, that the guy that got Bin Laden, I see him on TV so much, it makes me sick. <laughs> and granted, they did some great stuff, but, but man, 
it's Stop. the team. It's right. not you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's the, and that's the thing that needs so. to come to, uh, to, to law enforcement is the team mentality is like, exactly. and that's what I tell my unit, like my guys in my unit. I was like, listen, guys, we, we rise as a team. We follow the team. I don't give a fuck who puts yep. handcuffs on who or who does what report or who does what affidavit. I really don't give a shit. Like we're all working together. We're a team. At the end of the day, I've, yeah. I've told people plenty of times on even on special ops operations, even on patrol operations, I'll do it. Don't put my name on it. Don't give a shit. Yeah, exactly. I'll do yeah. it. I want to make sure that Iman goes home safe. I want to make sure that Jeff gets home safe. I want to make sure that I get home safe to kiss my kids. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, fuck yourself. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't get bonus pay. For, exactly. Yeah, exactly. For I get paid a, the same for getting the credit for the felony arrest. I don't get bonus pay. Like, you know what's funny? You know what's funny? Uh, actually, I've had uh, informants ask me that uh it, you know if i get money uh from a large drug bust like if you know hundred thousand dollars i you guys get percentages right i'm like, <laughs> I'm a like commission nope. yeah 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 <laughs> that's yeah. not the way it works dude but but that's that what's out co- there <laughs> well when you defund police that's yeah. what you're gonna get right? exactly yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly so jeff we got we got like a minute left brother listen yes, give sir. us give us like a minute or two or any kind of like 30 seconds of what you want to tell we get thousands of listeners across the country and the world anything you want to bring up talk about get off your chest you know why applying the special forces doctrine is essential to law enforcement anything go for it yeah so i think that you know if you if we can sum up what, what we've been talking about for the last hour is this think outside the box um if you're a leader in law enforcement encourage your guys to think outside the box support them when they make you know when they make mistakes and um just be good people like the the people that we serve and protect they want to be served and protected in a manner that is that is humane and we do that not by the pointy end of the stick we can but we really do that when we um, are culturally aware when we talk to people in their in their language and not just you know spanish you know spanish english but in their in in their language and in their at their level and and just just be a good human being and and look for unconventional answers to systemic problems Absolutely. I think, that, I think that sums it up. Dude, man, Jeff, listen, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. Yeah, ju- just ho- hold on after. That way, uh, once we uh, finish the credits. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, guys, Project Sapient, listen, that was a badass episode. We had a badass human being on here. I put him on mute so he can't say that he's not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> listen, Project Sapient, we want to thank our supporters, VectorShields.com. Jim Junkies, Havoc Journal, Live Boston 617, WellnessForWarriors.live, ODKit.com, EagleEyeFirearmsMA.com, GunTrack.app, Hulay-Law.com. We want to thank you for making us the number one law enforcement and military podcast on the planet. Stay safe. Stay safe, yet.